You are listening to Be Perfect, the first in a series of sermons entitled Perfecting Ourselves to Death, delivered in the summer of 2008 at Hocassin Baptist Church. And now, Pastor John Boulay. Well, good morning again. Welcome. This morning we're starting a new sermon series for the month of August. We're going to be talking about perfecting ourselves to death. And we're excited to talk about this next Sunday. Rick will be uh, preaching. And as we prepare to talk about perfecting ourselves to death, I just want to kind of lay out for you this idea that we're going to start looking at perfection as it relates to the gospel story, as it relates to our salvation, as it relates to our life in Jesus Christ. And as we progress through the month, we're going to become increasingly more practical. So, as always, we think it's best to kind of hammer out the theology of perfectionism uh, before we kind of progress to the practology of perfectionism. So, with that said, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. I am, uh, it's almost embarrassing, I've already received some persecution from the first service, but I must say I am a shopper. I'm a shopper, and I say that because... When Christmas rolls around, I'm one of those bizarre, unique men who loves to Christmas shop. I know, I know, I know. I like guns, and I like, to, I like sports too, but I like to shop. And uh, it's hard, but I will say, when I mean, after Thanksgiving, I put my shopping hat on, and the thought of parking on the grass outside of the Christiana Mall loop is exhilarating to me. I'm not lying to you. A full mall for me is pleasure, pure pleasure. When I go to the mall to do my Christmas shopping, I generally walk the entire mall for the morning and don't buy anything. I just brainstorm. I'm just trying to pool in ideas and look. And I go in the different stores and then I eat lunch and then I start my buying. And I go back and I re-attack the stores with purpose. And no matter how, it just doesn't sound cool. No matter how I... I know, I know. Everybody has these little inter, uh, like bizarre traits. This is my bizarre trait, or at least one of them. But what's, uh, what's part of my life is getting the perfect gift for somebody. I love to get somebody the perfect gift. And particularly with my wife and my children and my family, this idea of getting just the right gift propels me in Christmas shopping. And I, I generally buy a lot. Um, and I don't know if it's to the point of personal flaw, I'm willing to examine that, but I, I, in fact, this whole sermon series has made me ask some questions about myself, like, is this too much for me? But the ad, get your wife the perfect gift, that kind of ad speaks to me. It's hard for me to walk past that ad until I realize that every store in the mall has it. And I start to wonder now, does everybody have the perfect gift? Come on. I'm pretty gifted at it, I have to tell you. I'm pretty good at buying uh, gifts. Pretty, it's a gift of mine. I might call it a spiritual gift. I don't know, but um, it is something that I am particularly talented in. Uh, you might not believe it because last year I got my wife a vacuum cleaner for Christmas. So uh, it's not, I don't always strike the iron there, but uh, it's a good vacuum cleaner. It, in fact, you might say it's the perfect vacuum cleaner. Uh, but all I will say is this is kind of a light-hearted example of what I would consider a slightly less than light-hearted idea, which is the fact that I buy into the world's message that when Christmas time comes, I need to get somebody the perfect gift. It's very hard for me to buy somebody a gift certificate. It is extremely hard for me. I feel like I'm shorting them. I feel like 
I'm denying them an experience. And I have to work through those things. And I mean, like I said, I, I will confess that there may be personal flaw and all that. But as lighthearted as this is, the reality is, is that the world does this to us in a million different ways. It's not just buy the perfect gift for that person you love. That's not the only way we see it. We see things that tell us to look better, that you ought to have a longer hair or a slimmer body, or you ought to be able to run farther or exercise more regularly. You ought to eat better. You ought to have a better job. You ought to have a better salary. Your kids ought to go to better schools. They ought to get into the right colleges. And you ought to be able to send your kids to the college that they get into. And we feel this pressure over and over again to be more perfect. No matter where we look, the media, the newspapers, the TV shows, the commercials are all telling us that as we are is not good enough, that we're outsiders. And if we buy their product or their ideology or their pitch or their, their sales, whatever they're trying to give us, they make us think that if we buy that, if only for a moment, we'll no longer be outsiders, we'll be insiders. There's this thought that if I buy this newest cell phone that comes out, but the only difference is that it flips open a different way than mine. But if I buy it, it, for maybe a week, I'll be an insider until the next one comes out. And then I'm back to being an outsider. And what the world creates is this wall around this fictional idea of insiders that makes you feel that you're inadequate. It makes you feel like a have-not. And it builds this wall that says, buy it, drink it, Wear it, change it, purchase it, use it. And if you do, maybe you can scale this wall and get inside and be an insider, if only for a moment. I call that perfecting ourselves to death. And there's two major negative effects. There's probably a hundred negative effects, but the two that come to my mind is the first is that you and I live lives of dissatisfaction. The more we buy into the world's message that we need to buy or wear or change, the more you and I will live a dissatisfied life because it's constantly demanding more than we can give. Right? Because there's a wall over here that's personal image that you've got to climb over to have the right clothes. And over here, this one is have the right friends. And over here is you've got to have the right vacation and the right vacation home. And over here, you've got to have the right car to drive. And the second we climb over one wall, we get to the next, and we run right into a slightly taller wall. That's, and you can hear the voice beckoning to us, climb this one. We promise satisfaction's on the other side, and it never is. And so we find ourselves continually dissatisfied the more we buy into our commercials. And I would encourage you to hit the mute button every time a commercial comes on, because it's selling you dissatisfaction. Another negative trait that surfaces from a world like ours, is that not only do you feel pressure to have things and to commit to things and to give your life to things that you simply don't have the time or energy for, you also are given an expectation about what to expect from others. And here's how it works. Ladies, when you're in the grocery store and you're walking through the cash line and you see this cosmopolitan magazine with this half-dressed, beautiful woman, they're telling you, you ought to look like that. And men, when you're walking through the same grocery store line and you see this cosmopolitan magazine with this half-dressed, beautiful woman, the magazine is telling you, you know what? The woman in your life ought to look like that. And so not only do we have dissatisfaction about not being able to have or wear or drink or buy everything that they're constantly telling us to have, 
But we have dissatisfaction in the people we care about because they're not meeting our expectations, which have always been unrealistic from the beginning. The world is telling you not only what you need to invest and worship in, but they're telling you exactly what you ought to expect from those around you. And both of them are unrealistic and unnecessary. And I call it perfecting ourselves to death. Now there's one exception to all of this. So in this vast social landscape that you and I live in, where we look out and we see a wall over here for possessions, and a wall over here for power, and a wall over here for popularity, and here's a wall of education, and we have all of these walls that we're trying to climb so that we can find satisfaction on the other end. In this vast social landscape, there's this one tiny, rubbled, dilapidated wall called morality. That for some bizarre reason, you and I have to sell our souls to wear the right clothes, but when it comes to the moral issue, you know what the world says? You're just fine the way you are. No need for improvement. Everywhere else, I'm talking everywhere else, in school, at work, in play, on TV, on the internet, in the magazines, on the coupons, everywhere, they're saying you are not good. You need to invest more into what the world has to offer. But the second they talk about your eternal destiny, the second they talk about where you will spend eternity, the second they talk about the relationship of a divine being to you, the reply is, you're just fine the way you are. Now, for those of us who are Christians, we should see Satan written all over that kind of thinking. That is utterly satanic theology. That we need to sell our soul to our wardrobe and then all of a sudden think we're just fine the way we are. There's absolutely no value in that. I don't know how it's happened, but somehow along the way, the reply to our moral compass of, I've never robbed a bank and I didn't kill anybody, has achieved sufficient status for salvation. Right? You and I feel dissatisfied the second our new car smell goes away, but not robbing a bank is sufficient. It's perfecting ourselves to death. That's what I call it. And Christ has a response to it. Christ is responding in Matthew chapter 5, if you'll turn there with me. Christ is responding to this question of how big is this moral wall in the first place? This wall around salvation that that you and I, that the world tells us is this tiny, knee-high, rubbled wall that you can just lift your leg up and step in. How big is it really? That's the question. And when he's speaking to the Jews in his time, They did not think it was a small wall. They did not buy into the line that we're being given. They knew it was a very big wall, and they they were constantly asking the question, exactly how high is this wall? Exactly how much do I need to do? How good do I have to be? How perfect do I have to, how much perfection do I have to achieve to finally get from the outside to the inside? And so Jesus' regular message when he's preaching to people often has to be with defining this wall of the kingdom. You and I call it the Sermon on the Mount. I think if Christ were here today, the sermon would be, how big is the wall around the kingdom of God? He might call it something like that. And he preaches it. He preaches it to a crowd. In Matthew 5, it says he's talking to a crowd. And in this crowd, there are two groups. Well, there's probably many groups, but there's probably two notable groups. The first is a group of insiders that you and I know as the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they had a long list of things that you had to do to be an insider, right? 
the Pharisees had these high walls, which is convenient when you're on the inside. Right? The hypocrisy of the church is that we build walls from the inside to keep others out. That we get in and say, now that we're in, this is what you have to do. Now that I've somehow made it in the kingdom, these are the kinds of things that it means to be a, a good Jew or a good Christian in our case. But the Pharisees had these laws and statutes and ordinances and rites. And so brick after brick, they had built themselves this wall because they knew God was holy. They knew God was righteous. They knew God was just. And they were trying to say, well, if God is that holy and that righteous and just, then the wall must be mighty indeed. And so they built it to keep themselves safe, to kind of corner their souls. They built this massive wall that only a few people could ever climb. And for everybody else on the hillsides listening to Jesus, they were on the outside and they knew it. The Pharisees were on the inside, and this rest of the crowd, they're listening to Jesus to hear how far outside are they? How big is this wall really? Are the Pharisees right? What does this wall look like? But they knew they were outside. And this is how Jesus starts his sermon to these outsiders. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the, are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful and the pure in heart and the peacemakers. And he turns to everybody and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now to the outsiders, that's invigorating. Right? Because what Christ did all of a sudden is somehow he's letting everybody into the kingdom. Right? He's letting anybody who yearns for the kingdom into the kingdom. If you yearn for the righteousness of God, Christ says, come in. If you are humble in spirit, Christ says, welcome. If you're poor in spirit, if you feel your sinfulness, Christ says, the kingdom of heaven is for you. But the Pharisees hear this, and they start to wonder, what is Jesus doing? Has he just torn down the wall around God? And the Pharisees, they have this idea that God's holy. It, did Jesus just come up and tear down the protective wall that keeps God holy? Because the second you tear it down, this, you know what society's going to say? It's going to say, you're just all right the way you are. And the Pharisees know that's not right. They know that we're not okay the way we are. But somehow Jesus just let everybody in. He just let everybody through some breach in the wall. And so you can imagine the Pharisees in their mind are wondering, what is this man saying? What is he defining? He's setting a precedent. And it sounds to them like the Lord has just said, the wall does not exist. And you can tell that they're thinking that because this is what Jesus says. In verse 17, he says, Do not think, right, Jesus replies to this concern, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I will tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. The Pharisees think Jesus is tearing down this law. He's tearing down this protective world that defines our righteousness. And Jesus shows up and says, I haven't touched the wall. In fact, I will fulfill the wall. These people did not get in by climbing over some wall or some breach in the wall. Jesus turns to him and goes, the wall around the Lord is as strong as it has ever been. And then he starts to do something that's absolutely surprising. He starts to build on this wall. So the Pharisees have this wall. It must be 50 feet high. Well, cubits. Well, we'll say cubits. 
right? Even though Pharisees probably didn't use cubits. But they got this really high wall. And Jesus says, not only do I affirm your wall, Pharisees, that if you want to work your way to the kingdom, if you want to be good enough, if you want to seek satisfaction through the work of your hands, not only do I affirm the size of your wall, but I'll say something else. I'll say, when you say thou shalt not murder, I'll say this. Every time you think anger, angry thoughts, every time the anger festers in your soul for your brother, you are guilty of murder. And the Lord takes bricks and starts putting them on the top of this wall. And he says, in fact, if you even go to bring sacrifice to the Almighty God and you have anger in your heart, your sacrifice is unacceptable. Leave your offering and go reconcile with your brother. Because that's what real righteousness is about. And he starts to redefine righteousness for the Pharisees. And he says, furthermore, the Lord says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And you're right, Pharisees, that that's part of the wall. And he says, but I'll add unto this, that if you even lust in your heart for someone, you have committed adultery. And the Lord takes a brick and he puts it on the top of the wall. And he says to even lust is to commit adultery. And he says extreme things like, if your eye should cause you to sin, pluck it out. And if your hand should cause you to sin, cut it off. And he says, the Pharisees are so legalistic about following the law that they, they have these rights that you can, if you get the right certificate, you can divorce your wife. And you know what the Lord says? He says, certificate, sir, schmificate. Just made that up. <laughs> the Lord says, don't you realize that from beginning, marriage was for life? It is, an, it is a covenant, a holy covenant between man and woman and the Almighty Father. And you cannot get rid of it with a fancy piece of paper. That's what Jesus says. Despite the laws of the Pharisees. Jesus goes on to talk about oaths. He's going to go on for three, two more chapters, by the way. But the Pharisees had these, this long thing that if they swore by the Father of something, or if they swore on their own life, or if they swore on the Almighty Lord, that they would, they would always fulfill the truth. And you know what the Lord says? He says more than that. He says, the Lord is concerned that every time the word yes comes out of your mouth, it's true. And every time the word no comes out of your mouth, it's true. And you can't simply preserve your integrity for the I swears and the I cross my hearts and the legal affidavits. And so he keeps building on the wall and he does it with justice. He says, you say eye for eye, God says mercy. You say love your neighbor, God says love your enemy." And he does this for chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 of the Gospel of Matthew. And kind of the key phrase in all of this is Matthew 5, 48, where Jesus just kind of says it all. He says, you know what? Here's the, how high the wall is, Pharisee. You think it's high? I'll tell you how high it is. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the wall. If you are going to try this morning to enter into the kingdom by your works, I'll tell you exactly how high the wall is. To the nanometer, the wall is perfection. When you perfect yourself, the Lord will let you in. If you're going to try to approach the kingdom as though you have something to offer God, as though there's something that you can bring that warrants merit of its own, I will say when you achieve perfection, call the Lord. Because the wall is infinitely high. It's absolutely perfect. And nobody in Scripture and in history and in time has ever lived a perfect life but one man, Jesus Christ. And so today I'm here to tell you that through our works and our deeds and our attitudes, we are outsiders. By definition, we are outsiders. 
And the moral wall around salvation is not a knee-high, rubble, dilapidated thing that you can climb over because you never robbed a bank. It is an infinitely high fortress wall that is impenetrable. And you and I, for our works, sit outside as have-nots. There's irony in Scripture that when the Old Testament, when the Jews tell stories of their own heroes, when the Jews talk about their favorite people, they almost never close the story without letting you know something they did wrong. Have you ever noticed this when you read Scripture? That you're reading about the heroes of the Bible. Right? These are the collector's cards of Scripture. And all these collector's cards, when you flip them over, you know what's on the back? It's not like their stats, it's their sins. So when you get your Noah card, and you flip it over, on the back of the Noah card it says, by the way, in chapter 9, he got so drunk, he fell unconscious, naked in his tent, and his family mocked him. And on the back of your Abraham card, or if you have the really good one, your Abram first edition, <laughs> right? On the back of the Abram card, it says, this guy was willing to give his wife to Pharaoh to save his skin. And, comma, this guy also slept with the maidservant of his wife so that, he could bear, so that she would bury him a son because he no longer trusted in God's provision. On the back of the Moses card, this man expressed anger towards the Lord, and for that he did not enter into the promised land. On the back of the David card, this man murdered and committed adultery. All of the cards on the back of them is sin. Because there's some current in Scripture that wants you to know and me to know that even the heroes of Scripture got in in some other way. Nobody has entered the kingdom by climbing over the wall. Nobody. No matter how good the character is, no matter how many stories we read about him, no matter how good you are or how many stories are told about you, you cannot climb the wall. which would be a source of dissatisfaction indeed, unless there was some other way. And there is this other way. Christ started the sermon. You remember how he started the sermon? He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are, who are persecuted for my name. That's how Jesus started. And so there is this way in. There's this way into the kingdom, but it's not over a wall. It's through Jesus Christ. It's through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's why Jesus Christ calls himself the way. It's why Jesus Christ calls himself the gate. It's why he knocks. We don't climb into salvation. We walk humbly into salvation. We don't depend on ourselves for salvation. We can't earn salvation. We depend on mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. Paul, this is a common conversation that's, gonna, that's happened through all time. It's not original to us, and it's not original to Matthew. Paul the Apostle, when writing his letter to the Romans, dealt with the same thing. His letter essentially starts kind of with this wall building. Because right? the Jews are thinking, are we in the kingdom? And if we're in the kingdom, what about the non-Jews? Can they get in the kingdom? And Paul starts to say, well, let's just see how high this wall really is. And he starts to build. And then chapter 3 of Romans, he comes to this conclusion. After looking at the situation, he says this in 3 verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. That's what Paul determines. No one is righteous by observing the law. You cannot observe the law enough 
to be declared righteous. But this is what Paul continues with, the very next verse. He says this, But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known. There's no getting over the wall, Paul says. But he says, but there is yet a way. It has now been made known. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Ezekiel has a vision from God one day. And this vision that comes to Ezekiel from God is of the new Jerusalem, when God comes in the day of the Lord, when paradise, when the world is as it ought to be. And in this paradise, there's this picture in Ezekiel's mind of new Jerusalem. And it has mighty walls. The walls that you might imagine of a perfect standard. Walls that shoot up almost forever. There would be no getting into this new Jerusalem, except for the fact that it has massive 12 massive gates to let people in. And these gates have no doors, it says in Scripture. It says these gates are always open and they're always welcoming. And I would say to you this morning, I would charge you that if you're here and you're trying to seek Christ by doing things, if you're trying to fix yourself first so that you might be apt and able to come into the kingdom, you are climbing a wall that has no end. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You will never enter into the peace of the Lord if you are doing it by your own hands. If you think that I'm, I'm not suitable now for Jesus Christ, I need to fix this, I will say you will never be suitable for Jesus Christ. You will never, ever match up to the standard of the Lord because the standard is perfection. And you can either enter through the grace and mercy of Christ Jesus or you can climb the wall. But you cannot do both. You cannot say I'm going to rely on his mercy but I'm going to do something here that at the end of the day I'll feel good about. We enter only through the mercy of Christ Jesus. Which is ironic. Because in this world where there's towers after towers after towers, which are training us, Satan is training us to expect to have to do something to get something. Satan is training us to think as though we're outsiders. And then ask the question, what do I have to spend or devote or how do I have to worship and sacrifice what do I have to give up to get in? That's Satan's tool. And then when we get to Jesus, he says there's no wall at all. But Jesus says there is a wall. There's an absolutely high wall, but there's a gate and there's no door. You and I are, are called not to climb, but to walk into the kingdom of heaven. And I would say, if you're a believer this morning and you're falling prey to the temptation of the world, it is going to reflect in your salvation. When you feel this desire to perfect yourself in other areas, you know what's going to happen? Now that you're in the kingdom, you're going to start to attribute things to yourself. You're going to always fall prey to or be challenged by this desire to think that somehow you earned something in the kingdom. And you will forget the way that you entered in the first place. Because we all entered the same way. None of us entered better than one another. We entered solely because of Christ's mercy. And when we listen to the world talking about outsiders and insiders, it's very easy in our church to build a church of outsiders and insiders and to start to have closed doors and closed minds. And so I would pray both this morning and challenge you both for those who are outside of the kingdom to enter on Christ's mercy and for those of us inside the kingdom to remember how we entered in the first place.
because the wall is perfectly high.